You're listening to the Business in Morocco podcast, the podcast that discusses all things business and all things Morocco. My name is Ryan Mimone, and I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Kirk, and our goal is to share our knowledge and experiences in order to help you gain wisdom, skills, and habits that can help you succeed in business and in life. You can learn more about us by going to our website, moroccopodcast.com. All right, let's get started with today's episode. It's going to be a lovely day. Welcome to episode 11 of the Business in Morocco podcast. This week we're going to talk about accumulating wealth, income producing assets, but first let's get an update for the week. Ryan, what's going on? Hey Ryan, good to see you again. Yeah, I've had a, a great week. It's been exciting. I was invited to speak at an event up in Tangier at an engineering school there. And so I took the high-speed train for the first time, took it from Casa Voyagers all the way up, and it was an amazing experience. The train runs perfectly. It was on time to the minute. It was very exciting, a great place to, to work. And being able to travel from Casa to Tangier in two hours and 10 minutes, definitely can't argue with that. It's a pretty exciting development for Morocco. It's going to open up a lot of opportunities for business. Awesome. I also took uh, high-speed transit, but now I am in the United States. I'm doing some business development, and we're also taking some vacation time. And as we speak, we mentioned this last week, we are doing this podcast uh, remotely, experiencing some new challenges in terms of communicating and recording audio and uh, if you hear some differences in the quality of the sound, it's because we are doing some deep work and we're learning how to uh, record this podcast from two different continents. That's right. Uh, overall, since we've arrived, it's been a busy time, a lot of meetings. Uh, I've been working a lot. But overall, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been nice. It's been good to reconnect with some friends and, and family members and and meet some new business partners. So uh, we'll be continuing that. We'll be spending a few weeks here in in Washington, D.C. area, and then we'll be traveling around other parts of the country like California and uh, the Midwest. So it's exciting. Busy time. Yeah, busy time, but uh, a good time. And how long has it been since you were in the States? It's been more than two years. It's wow. going to be back. A lot, not a lot has changed. It's been a bit of a, a culture shock. I, the, the the number of very large vehicles is certainly shocking, <laughs> uh, compared to Casablanca in Morocco, where cars are smaller and they get good fuel efficiency. Here in the United States, everyone seems to have a gigantic truck or SUV, and uh, it, it's a different experience on the road for sure. Wow. And is that your son's first time in the States? It is. He was born in France, so his first steps on American soil were the day we landed at Dulles International Airport. Wow. Crazy. What a life. Yeah, it's been good. I'm, I've been working on my SMB online guide, doing some promotional materials, thinking about ways to reach out to small business owners to 
help them improve their online presence. Uh, I've got a few marketing ideas that I'm going to test and see uh, which ones are working. Some of the methods involve handing out promotional materials directly to small business owners. And then I'm going to, to try another marketing effort of using postcards, uh, mailing postcards directly to small business owners who, from all appearances, don't have a good online presence. So there, that is my target uh, customer base. So that's what I'm working on uh, this week. That's cool. I like the idea of using postcards because, you know, your potential customers may not be very tech savvy. And so reaching out to them via email could just get lost. Yeah. And, you know, I've sort of validated this idea here in the States. I've seen Google is now actually advertising on television. Wow. Really? For what? Yep. For essentially to compete with me, to help small businesses grow their business online. Ah. So they're, I've seen a, they're doing a lot of advertising during live sporting events. So this is a separate business that they have because I thought they're basically the platform. They just rolled out this entire training platform and networking platform for small businesses. It's basically an expansion of Google Maps, Google My Business. Yeah, if you type in Google slash startup or Google slash grow, you'll see they've got a lot of resources on there for small businesses. Wow, interesting. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's get into the topic of the week, which is how the wealthy become wealthy and the difference between income-producing assets and other kinds of assets. Ryan, you've got some experience in this area. You own some income-producing assets. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your journey to understanding what an income-producing asset is and, and what your financial goals are? All right, well, I got married in 2003 and I figured I better start thinking about finances and making some wise choices to put my wife and I on a good path financially. And so I started reading some finance books. This is 2003, so this is before YouTube existed. You couldn't just Google things and watch videos. Um, there were limited resources available online, and so back then, you just go to a bookstore and go to the business section or the personal finance section and select a couple books. Eventually, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which radically affected my thinking. And the basic premise of the book is that he outlines the difference between assets and liabilities. And his main point is, in order to become wealthy, you need to own assets. The author, Robert Kiyosaki, he gives this simple definition that assets are something you own that put money into your pocket, while liabilities take money out of your pocket. And the story is he compares you know, his, his actual biological father, who was very much middle class, and someone who was the dad of his best friend, who mentored him and showed him what it meant to be truly wealthy. Robert Kiyosaki points out that 
The rich own assets, whereas the middle class, they acquire liabilities that they think are assets. So things like a car, things like your furniture, your electronics, you know, toys like a boat or a motorcycle, or even something like your personal residence. Robert Kiyosaki would argue that that's a liability because it doesn't put money into your pocket in any way. So I decided at a young age, okay, I need to try to figure out how to buy assets. And when I looked at the options that were available, starting a business or purchasing a business, financial products like stocks and bonds and mutual funds and investment real estate, I got really interested in investment real estate. And so I've got a small business in Canada that, that owns a few properties. And basically the premise is there's tenants, there's people who live in these properties and they pay rent. And the rent that they pay covers all the expenses of the property. And each month I'm paying down the mortgage. So slowly, shuia bashuia, I'm owning more and more of the home, buying it back from the bank. And over time, in the long run, the value of that property is appreciating. So by holding on to this property, it takes care of itself financially, and my wealth is growing without me needing to put in a ton of work. That's a great explanation. I, I think some concrete examples of income-producing assets are houses that you don't live in, apartments you don't live in, land that you lease to someone else. It's anything that you own that you can charge someone else to use, meaning there is positive cash flow, exactly what you described. You have tenants, you have renters in your houses and apartments. They pay you rent and you cover all the expenses and you pay down the mortgage, meaning your tenants are essentially purchasing assets for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're taking on the liability, you're taking on the risk in terms of your relationship with the bank. You're taking on the risk of owning the property, maintenance, damage, uh, depreciation. And because you're taking on the risk, you are reaping the reward of owning the assets uh, once the mortgage is paid off. Some other examples of income producing assets are intellectual property. So if you have an artist, a musician, and they create a piece of music, they own the rights to that music and they can essentially rent out that music to radio stations, to movie producers, to commercials, to advertising firms to use that music uh, for their purposes. And then the artist gets uh, money in return. So it's an a asset that is producing positive cash flow. Other such examples of intellectual property are patents or trademarks or, or secret recipes. For example, Coca-Cola, their recipe is an asset and they could sell that recipe for a lot of money, but they're using it to produce Coca-Cola and sell their products. So it is producing uh, revenue for them as an asset. Another example of income producing asset is a business. And of all the income producing assets that are out there, this is the one that I'm focusing on. I'm trying to do the, develop a business that will 
eventually be able to operate on its own. I will hire a team, a group of managers and employees. I will set up processes and then they will be able to execute them. My goal is to not have to be involved in the daily activity, but provide more of a oversight role, a board of directors role, a strategic role, and have people operating the business. And so in that sense, it will be uh, income producing asset for me that I don't have to be grinding away 10, 12 hours a day in order to earn a living. That would be another example of an income producing asset. On the other hand, if you own a business, but you have to work every day and every week and every month in order for that business to produce income, that would be closer to the definition of a job than it would be to the definition of an income producing asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, has another book called Cash Flow Quadrant, and it's it's almost like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Part 2. So if you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and you enjoyed it, you learned a lot, you loved it, I definitely recommend Cash Flow Quadrant. And he kind of lays out this progression where you're an employee, you work for somebody, and then maybe you're a self-employed, but you kind of need to exchange your time for money. So it's basically like you own a job, but still you have to be there. It's, it's very much active income and not passive. But then you can graduate to where you build a system, which is what you're working on, Ryan, where you're putting in all this extra work to, to be able to explain to someone else how to do what you do so that, in essence, you can hire someone to replace yourself and then remove yourself from the business. So in that case, you have produced an asset that doesn't require your time for it to continue generating revenue for you and then the fourth quadrant in the cash flow progression is where your money works for you so where you're an investor so you just simply buy something and your money grows from owning that today's episode is brought to you by cyst british education for 18 years cyst has been delivering a british curriculum in morocco and awarding bachelor's, master's, and MBA degrees from Cardiff Metropolitan University in the UK. CIST is a unique higher education institute which operates completely in English, with locations in Casablanca, Rabat, Tangier, and Marrakesh. CIST students are privileged to receive British education and degrees with worldwide recognition, in addition to accreditation through the Moroccan government. CIST has set a vision to recruit and train top students to be world-class business graduates. I've been teaching at CIST for three years now and highly recommend it. Check out CIST British Education at www.cist.ac.ma and choose the CIST experience. Now back to the show. Yeah, this idea of interest, uh, the very wealthy, they come to the point where they fund other people and charge them interest. And oftentimes, when they make those loans, those loans are backed by other assets, so the risk is very low. The main idea is putting yourself in a situation where your money 
and what you own is actually working for you as opposed to causing you to spend more money to support it. And this idea plays into a couple of the topics we've already talked about on the podcast. Long-term thinking, delayed gratification. If you spend all of your money every month on yourself, what you want, what you want to do, the newest phone, vacations, cars, if you spend all that money on stuff, you're satisfying your immediate desires, but you're not thinking long-term. If you're thinking long-term, then you are depriving yourself of certain things in the moment in order to invest for the future and buy some of these assets that in the long run will pay for themselves and more. In order to get to a situation where you own an income producing asset, you have to make choices and you have to make sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, there's some great quotes like, unless your money works for you, you will always be working for money. And unfortunately, there's many people who have the perspective or the mindset that they should get an education in order to get a job that has a very high salary. But most of these jobs, even if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor or you're some kind of professional that earns a very high income, it still requires your time. You still have to get up on Monday morning and go to the office or go to court or go to the hospital and give of your time and your expertise in order to be paid. But if you can take some of your high salary and buy assets that will continue to generate income, this is a way to really become wealthy, where money is coming into your pocket even apart from your skills and apart from your attention and your effort and your time. And that's the opportunity. So whenever you put a dirham into an asset, that dirham becomes your employee. And that dirham works for you, and it'll work for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But as long as you spend a dirham, then you have to go to work to get another one coming in. One of the books that I highly recommend is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And the reason that I love this book so much is he talks about the fallacy of many small business owners they think they have a business because they're the owner but they spend all day working in the business and in fact if they didn't work in the business every day it would fall apart and in many ways like i said earlier it's not a business it's not an income producing asset it's a job that you happen to own and i actually have a client here in the states and we've had this conversation quite a few times where I'm, I'm telling him, you need to find someone to train to do your job, and especially to, to train to do the things that you don't like to do. Because right now, if you were to get sick or you were to get injured, we both know that it would be only a matter of weeks before the quality of your product and your service and your brand would utterly fall apart because you were not there making sure everything was, was going according to plan. And I said, you are getting to the age where you need to hire a manager who can carry out the daily activities of the business 
and who can allow you to focus on other things like franchising your business, like growing your business strategically, as opposed to making sure that the minute details of the business are, 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 are being executed properly on a daily basis. And unfortunately, he just doesn't feel like he can trust anyone to do that right now. And I keep pushing on him to at least try to find someone and train them up to do that so that his business, which is really a job, turns into an income producing asset that he doesn't have to be personally involved in every day. Yeah, that is an excellent book. I think I read it probably 10 years ago, but that phrase working on the business rather than in the business is a quote that I've never forgotten because it's really, really profound and super important for a young business owner. What about in Morocco? What are the options for buying assets or creating assets here? Yeah, I think that there is actually uh, a good opportunity to make money in Morocco, but it takes a mindset change. When I walk around Casablanca, I see so much commercial real estate that is vacant that it boggles my mind. And you go and you ask some of these folks who own the commercial real estate and they want exorbitant rents. They want very high rents for uh, a location that is in disarray, meaning it is full of trash, it's completely unimproved, the walls are not painted, there's no plumbing, there's no electrical, and they want very high rents to come in and, and improve the space and then have your business there. Not only do they want very high rents, they want a very high rent when on the same block there's 10 other properties that are available and they're also vacant. I think if you apply basic economic principles and basic cash flow and cash management principles to these properties, people could be making money on these vacant properties if they came down to market prices. So if someone was out there who really wanted to help the owners of these properties manage uh, their properties and do some kind of revenue share or, or maybe do a reseller agreement, there would be opportunities to have businesses in these vacant properties if the owners were able to understand the value of having the tenants in there producing positive cash flow every month. Sometimes I think that, that these owners would rather have a property vacant and hold out for a high rent than have the property being used and improved and at least get a little bit of rent. Oh yeah, I, that was something absolutely shocking to me when I came to Morocco. Not so much about the commercial, but the residential real estate because my family, we were looking for places to rent. We looked at property after property that had been vacant for clearly a long time because it was in disarray, as you said, and the owners were not cleaning it up or investing any money into it, and so no one was interested in renting it. And I'm not lying, there are some properties that we looked at five years ago that remain vacant. Residential properties, they're still empty to this day. In the real estate books that I've read, they teach you to view your property, view the home or the apartment as a business. And obviously, a business needs to make money. It needs to be profitable. So I think there's a lot of property owners who view their property not as a business that should generate income, but as simply a place to store their wealth. 
So instead of putting a cardboard box full of stacks of dirhams under their bed, they've purchased an apartment or purchased a, a villa and they're just letting the building run down. And what they're banking on is that in the long run, it'll be something they can pass on to the next generation or it will appreciate in value because of the value of the land itself. But they're losing out on the opportunity to, even if they hired a property manager to and didn't have to do the work, they're losing out on the opportunity to put their money to work for them and generate cash flow in the present rather than just counting on a payout in the long run from the appreciation of real estate. Yeah, and I want to make clear, this is not just a Moroccan problem. This is a problem in the United States. In fact, vacancy in New York City is so bad, it's to the point where the the city is going to fine property owners if their properties remain vacant for too long. Even here in, in Washington, D.C., where we are, we just drove through our old neighborhood, and there is a a large commercial space in our old neighborhood that is vacant today and it was vacant in 2012 when we moved into that neighborhood and to me that is just incomprehensible this is a nice neighborhood there are a lot of opportunities whoever owns that property is making bad choices and losing out on a lot of income You've been listening to the Business in Morocco podcast. My name is Ryan Kirk, here with my co-host, Ryan Maimon. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Download our entire library of podcasts on our website, moroccopodcast.com, where you'll also find extra resources related to each episode in the show notes, including a transcript of the show. If you've got a question or topic you think we should cover on the podcast, fill out the form on moroccopodcast.com or email us at ryan at moroccopodcast.com and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Our theme music is Lovely Day by Bill Withers, used under Creative Commons, and we hope you'll have a lovely day doing business in Morocco. We'll see you next time.